Cards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a, re- a conversation with Navy SEAL retired Cameron Hamilton. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, Patriots, and tonight is Friday, August 25th in the year 2023. Tonight we have a great interview, and it's Cameron Hamilton. He's a retired former Navy SEAL that is now running for the 7th District in for Congress in Virginia. And I'll tell you, it's, it's really a huge statement and a real, just a beacon of hope when you see the caliber and the integrity of these men that are now stepping into the gap to fight a new domain of warfare that they're unfamiliar with by their training, but they're fully equipped with their morality and the intensity which they approach a battle space. Cameron's one of these. You're going to enjoy this interview very much. He is really going to present a place for you to appreciate the depth of what special operations communities represents and equally the integrity of the men that that come from that rank and file to now stepping into a very critical domain of warfare in our nation. Now, Patriots, before we begin tonight, there are a lot of changes ahead. We have had a couple of shows this week talking both about the BRICS nation issue and equally about the food issue. So right on top of the list is this. You need to make sure you have a food plan. It's, in, it's critical. And that food plan is going to be essential in the coming months. There's a lot of disruption. There's a potential upheaval that we are all going to have to buckle down on, and we can see it coming. We can see all of these factors starting to merge to where supply chains are breaking down. We're learning that the distribution centers are re- being reduced in the amount of supply that they can supply to grocery stores. We need to have ourselves well prepared. And add to that the craziness of the weather and all the other in- instruments of warfare being waged against us. So go to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com. There you'll find the three-month emergency food kits by My Patriot Supply at 25% off. It's a fantastic deal, the lowest rate, they've, the biggest discount they've ever given. And this is a critical time to stock up. You need a plan. You need to have several tiers of your food system. One of those needs to be core emergency food for about 90 days that can last for years and be ready to go at a moment's notice. That's where this comes in. So head on over to preparewithbards.com. Take a look at the great products. They're fantastic tasting, full-calorie meals for meals each day, 2,000 calories a day. They will not only sustain you but keep you strong in the middle of the fight. So preparewithbards.com to see the My Patriot Supply three-month food systems, 25% off. Fantastic time to to, to stock up on your for your family and get the insurance underneath you. The fights that we are looking at right now, as we look across all of the different domains of warfare, obviously we know that there's an informational cyber war going on constantly. We have a we have fights in the political realm. We have legal fights, judicial fights. All of these are non-kinetic type fights, but they're no, nonetheless dangerous, and they are equally devastating on people's lives. The one fight we don't talk enough about, however, is the fight of morality. And unfortunately, our nation has a bankrupted morality in our leadership. 
these people that are up here have sold their soul for various reasons. They've been corrupted. They've been blackmailed. And I will tell you, in my own prayers, God has literally stated that he is calling the warriors to the line that have uncorruptible morality. Tonight, you're going to meet one of these people. This is Cameron Hamilton. He is a retired Navy SEAL. He is amazing. And the information he provides, the story he gives tonight, I think will give you a deep look as to the type of people that are behind that kind of enigma of a title, special operations or SEALs or Delta or special forces. You've You've heard a number of them on here, and they're all of the same powerful integrity. Cameron's one of them and now has stepped into a different type of field of fight. And it's political, and he knows the dangers of it. It's a completely different form of warfare. But what you're going to learn tonight is the mindset as much as the heart set, the way a fight is approached and how he's preparing to go about this to win, but not to win for the sake of title, but to win to represent the people. Now, Patriots, before we launch this tonight, a couple other big uh, announcements or one big announcement. Bards Fest tickets are now on sale. If you go to bardsfm.com, bardsfm.com, Bards tickets are now on sale. Bards Fest is the 21st to the 23rd in Fredericksburg, I'm sorry, Fredericksburg, in Flemingsburg, Kentucky, and it's going to be at Madeline Farms, and all of that information is on the website, and we'll be improving the website through next week to include our speakers list, to include bios and sorts of things, but right now, all of that is available. Now, we have a recommended base donation of $100, but this is a donation event, so it's recommended donation of $100 per person. But as I've always said, this is a God event. No one is denied. So that always works out well because we always have people that donate more and we have people that can do just what they can afford. So do not be intimidated. We want you there if you can be there. That's the most important thing. We are coming together and it's literally uh, just one of the more powerful themes that we've had, which is equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. This is going to be a fantastic event. We have a great speaker lineup coming together. I think you'll be very, very impressed. So head on over to bardsfm.com to get your tickets. You don't want to be left out on this great event. It's going to be an awesome event, I'm telling you. I'm really looking forward to it. All right, and the other thing is also if you are dealing with any sort of concerns or you have a 401k or IRA, please text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. That's BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. What does that do? That gets you connected with Birch Gold, and they will send you a free info kit to talk to you about the options that you have available for you to put your IRA or 401k into a precious metals retirement account. It's really critical right now. We are dealing with an insane level of disruption in our financial sphere. We are watching the dollar just slowly erode away to nothing. And after all, the dollar is a is a debt note by the Federal Reserve. And we're watching the rise of BRICS nations, which are building their own currency on the separate valuation. The disruption of supply chains is coming at us and the import value, the import cost is going to skyrocket. Inflation is going to soar. You need to get something anchored that is solid, not just paper, but precious metals. Now, like I always say, I'm not an investment advisor. I don't wear a white coat. I don't play a doctor on TV. I don't play an investment advisor on TV. I don't even really like TV. But what I do like is information that helps me make a decision. And that's where you need to dig in. And this is where a great opportunity to get a free information packet from Birch Gold. Just type in BARDS and then text that to 989898. And that information will come right to you. They're great folks at Birch Gold. They've been serving BARDS Nation now 
for well over a year and doing a great job and nothing but praise for them. So check it out, take advantage of the offer and see if it can help you today. That'd be great. All right, Patriots. One last little thing that I'm going to announce here. I think it's really important and it's our in-house Mary, Mary Beth. It's, it's uh, MB Knight. If you are, if you know MB Knight, she's MB Knight Baker. She's the one that has, um, that did all the great treats for Bards Fest for all the speakers and guests. They are in the process of a move right now. And she's set up, a, I encourage her to set up a GoFundMe because they've now, thanks to the Bidenomics, their move costs literally doubled. And it, it's it's much more expensive than they had anticipated. So there is, an, a, there is a campaign created, and it's created by Mary Beth Knight, K-N-I-G-H-T. It's called Help Knight Baker Move to Arizona. She's moving down there with her family. It's been a long time dream. Her and her husband have been working like crazy to make this happen. If it's in your heart to donate and support this, I would highly encourage you to do that. That's a way of helping one another, helping ourselves. And I just think it's a great way to help them through this. She's done a lot for us and continues to follow that path of God in a great way. So I'll put those links underneath. So it's, that's a oh, it's a whole bunch of stuff to take in tonight before our show, isn't it? You got to think about, you're going to have to think about whether you are going to go buy your emergency food. You're going to have to think about whether you're going to text your and get your free information packet on, on, uh, Birch Gold, you got to think about your Bards Fest tickets. That's unnecessary. And then you've got an opportunity now to help one of our own that's in, in, in need right now. So all those things, those links will be below the podcast. All right. All that said, it is time to introduce you to truly a, an amazing man. This is Cameron Hamilton. Well, Patriots, today I'm really honored to have an American hero on our show today. This is Cameron Hamilton. He's a former Navy SEAL. And when I say that, and I think you all know my story well enough, that when I say former, that's only by purpose of not in uniform, but the integrity and what that community represents is absolutely the best of the best in the United States. So I'm very honored today to have Cameron Hamilton on with us, who has now been called and is literally stepping in the gap to run in for Congress in the 7th District in Virginia. So it's a real honor. Cameron, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, brother. Good to be here. It's, it's the honor is mine. When you and I have talked and you were talking about uh, running, I, it, it's a real uplifting moment. I know that's shared by many to know that literally America's best is stepping into that gap and answering the call to help this nation in a completely different way. And I don't think that was an easy decision considering your background and what warfare looked like and how this new warfare domain is. I think that's very fair. Um, with what's going on in this nation, you know, we've we've traditionally, those that serve in the military and those that kind of serve in a similar capacity, you know, furthering U.S. efforts and American efforts, both in the states and overseas, it, there's a sense of service and obligation as though, you know, we are, um, it's crucial that we, we provide, you know, service and, and that we really improve the lives of others. So you're there's a lot of ambition, a lot of drive, a lot of intrinsic motivation to want to give back to be something bigger, better, stronger, faster, because it helps others. Um, but you can become very focused on your career and you achieve milestones. And it's it, it in, in some senses, it it forms a lot of your identity. I'm not saying that it should be, but it it definitely does. So when you step away from that, when you step out of the limelight 
um, you know, in the arena that you've been conditioned for, for warfare and conflict in a very overt, uh, you know, manner, even if it's an evening clandestine warfare still, um, it's, it's nerve wracking. You find yourself questioning routinely, am I making the right decision here? Because I know a battlefield where I can see my enemy, but now I'm potentially entering a battlefield where I can't. So uh, I, I would completely echo your sentiments. This was a decision made with quite a bit of prayer, quite a bit of consideration and wise counsel, um, because there is no perfect decision that can be made, but we make the best decision with the information we have at our disposal. That's so well said. Cam, can you give us a little background on yourself and just that formation? You just mentioned it kind of becomes your identity, and I, I think people need to really appreciate that in a different level. Going through buds, going through all that you did is not an easy task, and by nature, it will kind of it will shape you. So, can you give us a little background on that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, I decided to join the military when I was a young kid. I don't know exactly what age I was. I was arguably before my high school years, but not knowing what avenue I wanted to pursue. My Both my grandfathers, my mother's father and my father's father were CVs, construction battalions in World War II. Um, so they were engineered. My, my mother's father was an engineer um, and he was commissioned as an officer in the Navy. My father's father was a construction worker and a site manager. And so they both were recruited essentially um, to 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 serve and to build and to do things that the Navy had a shortfall in. So that that sense of service and and the manner in which they improved the lives of Marines in those islands in the Pacific was just unbelievable. It's a great sense of fulfillment. So I grew up with a great degree of pride and admiration for that service. My father then served in Vietnam, um, and so not in combat arms, but he still wanted to serve this country. And so that really formed a lot of the manner in which I. Um, I interpreted the United States. I interpreted service. So growing up in Northern California, as you can imagine, there's a lot of great people there. It's not exactly the most friendly place towards those that want to serve in the military. Uh, there's quite a bit of hostility, I'll say, to put it lightly. Um, but that being said, I I had an opportunity to play uh, potentially amateur soccer overseas and and pursue some other avenues for education. And I I really just couldn't pursue it because my heart wasn't in it, and I felt that it was my it was my moral obligation and my great honor to give back to this nation that gave my family and so many families so much. So um, I joined the military in high school. I signed my paperwork, went on the delayed entry program. Um, after I graduated, then I, I joined the Navy, shipped off to boot camp up at Great Lakes, or as we call Great Mistakes, Illinois. <laughs> And then my time there, I went to become a hospital corpsman, the basic medic training. And I decided to, to join the SEAL teams because it was an avenue that I thought was really compelling. It seemed to be a very elite classification of warriors. I was always fascinated with the history and the lore and um, just these, you know, the notion of what these naked warriors used to do back in the day of World War II, these UDTs swimming in with shorts fins, a mask, a dive knife, and a haversack bomb blowing up obstacles so that Marines and their landing crafts could, could storm beaches. Just a really um, unbelievable set of history. So I decided to pursue it. We showed up in Bud's class 261. We started off with about 220 uh, for NDOC, went down after NDOC uh, three weeks to 180, started first phase at 180, started Hell Week, which was three weeks later. At the completion of three weeks, it was on week four, actually. 
uh, with 88, and then finished Hell Week, which is one week with 44. Uh, then we dwindled more down further on, completed Buds, which was another five and a half months of training of just a suck fest. But there were great moments in it, too, that I wouldn't trade for the world. Finished that with 37, and then graduated SQT, where I got my Trident, became a certified operator in the SEAL teams with 33. Um, so pretty small, small group, uh, given that we started from 220 and made our way down. And only eight of us in that class had never been recycled. So uh, kind of a really unique thing. So I never got injured or recycled for performance. Sometimes people do. They they have a training accident. They can, if, as long as they had a good attitude and they performed well, they'll give you another opportunity if you can recover in two months. Um, serious injuries, unfortunately, they, they'll discharge you out and send you to the fleet and wait for you to recover and then perhaps they'll let you come back. So I went from there to SEAL Team 8 Virginia Beach after I went through medic training at Fort Bragg and uh, bounced around some different locations and uh, served four tours overseas, um, all in support of OEF, two specifically to Afghanistan. And uh, and then the rest is is history, as they say. It's an amazing process in buds that you've described, and it's um, it speaks so much to you and your character in not only just making it through in these various levels of of cuts and reduction in in the applicants there, but also the fact that you did so without being recycled. Kim, okay, that leads to, in my way of looking at things, that leads to some of the challenges that lie ahead in D.C. We are you're walking into literally the pit of vipers. And I know that I've shared this with you, and I wanted to say it here. I mean, in the way that God's spoken to me on this, as people like yourself are being called to step into that political arena, you're coming from an origin of literally an uncorruptible morality. And and that is something I think people have a hard time understanding, or at least don't have a reference to understand in context of war, and how that is such a defining difference in the intensity of the conflicts you go in and the importance of being uncorruptible. Can you speak to some of that? Yeah, thank you. Um, it's an honor to be referred to in that way. I certainly wouldn't see myself in that light, but I I, I very much am grateful for that description. Um, you know, I was always raised to to be, to understand that the, the most difficult and the most meaningful things in life are worth fighting for and are worth you know, enduring great trial and struggle if necessary uh, to accomplish. And so part of being a professional warrior does involve, you know, different characteristics and aspects of of how to rally with the team, how to work well with others. But there there is a sense of, uh, not to be elitist, but there, there has to be a sense of almost spiritual purity in the sense of knowing that you're endeavoring in a career where this may meet your end, you, you'll have to face your maker possibly sooner than others, and you have to come to peace with that and still wrestle the balance of regular everyday life. Um, it's not an easy adjustment for many to make. And so for, for myself, I simply endeavored to, if I was going to join the service, I wanted to pursue a career field where they would give me the best training possible, where they would prepare my mind for the battlefield more than anything else, not just my physical skills or, or fitness or marksmanship. But I wanted to be honed in the mind. And fortune favors the prepared mind in many respects. Um, so the trial and the the difficulty of the training pipelines we went through, I think I would I wouldn't trade for the world because they uh, they give you a sense of understanding about your capability that you never would have known. And so that's what I really would consider a blessing 
from my time in the military is that they've pushed you and challenged you in ways that you never would have had an opportunity to see. So you reveal the great the greatness or the depravity of your character when you struggle and at times when even when you don't succeed. Um, and so for me, it was a blessing to have that opportunity to learn more about myself than, frankly, I realized. And uh, you're right about D.C. It is an environment that people know very little about that seems to be only discussed in certain arenas. It seems to even be described, and I can attest to it, as a as an entirely different class of people in our nation um, who seemingly don't connect and resonate with the average person in the way that you might find at a at a gas station or at a grocery store or at a movie theater. So it's it's a new environment for me. Um, I've spent time around people that work in this field, uh, but I've never been a part of it itself. I've always been a supporter, uh, an, an element on the fringe aspects of you know providing care and coverage towards those that that endeavor to you know serve the American people in this way. Um, so. But I am approaching this from a warrior's perspective. You know, those who separate their warriors from their leaders will be led by cowards and will be fought by fools. And so it's just a great quote that I'm always reminding myself of, um, that the ultimate call of a warrior at times can be to step away from the battlefield and then pursue something that's very different but has just as much, if not greater, strategic impact. Um, and that's kind of what motivated me to get into this. I'm a, a diligent believer in God. My faith is paramount. I'm a family man. But I see the direction and trajectory of this nation going in a way that I can't defend anymore, in a way that I find just conflicting with with pursuing a future that my children will, will be left with a nation to inherit at all. Um, so that's kind of what what I've wrestled with as far as the morality and the integrity of the issue at hand, you know, do you be an apathetic bystander, or at some point are you willing to pursue a field of battle that might look different than what you were immersed in or that you were trained in? Um, so that's kind of the dichotomy that goes through in my mind. Well, that's well said. I want you to talk a little bit about your faith, and I'm, and I'm going to share this as just my personal uh, response when we first connected. And what struck me and just resonated so deeply was where you prioritized your faith, which is you are here to serve kingdom. And I, I can't tell you how much that meant to me um, just in the in the walk that I've made, which is very different than yours, but at the same time, parallel paths. And just hearing the caliber of warrior that you are, the respect that I have for all your origins, and to have that as being your top service point. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, God has been gracious and compassionate to me in ways that I do not deserve. I, I know that. I've seen that and experienced that in a variety of different ways. So ultimately, we're all known for one thing in life. And uh, if there's one thing I want to be known for, it's to influence, not that I need the recognition, but that I want to serve my maker and leading other strong and brave men to know who is the creator of all things, who is the author of the universe, and to know the goodness and the greatness of his word and how he intends for us to live victoriously through him. Um, if I had a mission in life, aside from being a husband and a father and a servant of my maker, it would be to make more bold and strong men who are willing to stand firm in their faith, because I believe our people, and I believe the world will need it in the times that are coming ahead. 
So that's much of the influence that's been weighing on my mind about engaging in this career, engaging in this new pathway, this new potential, you know, this new opportunity for leadership. Um, would I be able to be impactful and improve the lives of men and women, for that matter, um, but to lead individuals to understand the merits and the truths of, of a sincere faith? And so I would say that's been one of the largest, if not the largest motivator in life in general. So great words. As a team operator, you've become really accustomed to having people on your right and your left, literally, that would put their lives down there for you. I want you to talk a little bit about that. And I'm going to use the term martyrdom mentality, but it's not intended to be negative in the sense of willing to sacrifice everything for that man that sits on your right or left. And you're in these operations. It's the the point of understanding that that really the the one is not as significant as the many. That's a great that's a great question, great topic. <clears throat> Ultimately, you know, alpha male communities, which is traditionally what you find a lot more within uh, within the military setting and even within other kind of contexts and settings, it, it gets a bad rap as being very domineering very physically, uh, you know, contentious and, and subject to a lot of conflict. And what I will really, what I really want to elaborate to people is that alpha males more than anything else desire a fraternity. Um, and which is, which shouldn't come as a surprise to people when we see gang violence and things that are pursuing and floundering, uh, or excuse me, and, and, and flowering like crazy. They're growing at astronomical rates because you have young men who feel that they should be bold, they should be brave, they should be courageous, they should pursue success um, and achieve great victories. And when they're not being guided properly, they become destructive, incredibly destructive and powerful tools and instruments of evil. But within the military specifically, what I, what I would consider a great blessing of my time in the service is that we had a purpose that was just and that was virtuous. And we had an opportunity to improve one another, to bust each other up as much as we could in preparation. But at the same time, I will tell you that while the alphas can look outwardly, you know, very much engaged in conflict or as toxic, you will you will hardly ever find a more selfless group of people that are willing to lay their own personal lives and livelihoods at risk for others. You will you will almost never find someone more willing to engage in in the possibility of significant, if not permanent, physical harm and danger uh, than that group, and it's admirable. It's just beyond uh, a blessing, and you don't see it at times. You, of course, uh, you know you you take things for granted in strides, and I think a lot of us do that. But looking back on my time in the military, I will say that while I certainly didn't like everyone I worked with, I think everyone's probably guilty of that. Um, I consider it a great honor of mine that I was able to serve in that organization and I was able to be around brave men who maybe we weren't best friends, but their sense of purpose and their need for that brotherhood was so strong that I knew they might try to fight me you know, when we're off duty, but when it came time and the bullets were flying, there were several men who I did not like in the slightest, but I knew 100% that they would go toe-to-toe against our enemies with me and would even risk their lives to save me. Um, it's just, it's a strange dichotomy to think about that. It's a strange characteristic to see 
some of the most boisterous and elaborate behavior out of people yet to see some of the most unbelievable sense of duty and honor and service and care for others that that you don't always associate with people of that community that's why i wanted to be a medic it wasn't just because i wanted to be an operator and capable and that's a cool job to do i didn't want to be the individual to panic when one of my brothers who's maybe made a decision that's put himself at risk to be brave and bold or they I didn't want to be in a situation where I didn't have training or experience to be able to give them the maximum chance of survivability. Um, there are injuries that are not survivable, and those are awful, but there are some that are. Um, and so I wanted to pursue medicine specifically as, as the means that I could give back to this unit to make a truly lethal but amazing brotherly bond and unit. You're coming from that team environment. And you're walking into what we might refer to as a singleton type mission, meaning it's you on point and not that formal team around you. How have you prepped yourself for that next step into this new battlefield, which is probably one of the most vicious in its sense, even though it's not the typical lethality of of the bullets, but it definitely uses every tool possible to be lethal on the soul. Yeah, I would agree with much of that. Um, the different jobs I've worked at over my professional career have, I think, prepared me in many ways, but I don't know that anyone would argue that they were simply the most prepared they could have ever been for an endeavor like this, or really any just critical you know, change in direction of what you're going to do professionally. Uh, I spent a lot of time with the State Department, about five years within the Directorate of Operational Medicine. I worked in a project called, or a program called Project Guardian, where we would embed with uh, different entities overseas uh, and stateside to provide medical care, contingency planning, and coverage, supporting diplomatic efforts. So working there was fairly autonomous. Uh, yes, we embedded with teams, but there was also a lot of times where I had to kind of be differentiated and I had to go on my own. For example, part of that job allowed me to go to the Democratic Republic of Congo and fly on a chartered aircraft that was, I say chartered, it was a a very primitive aircraft with cargo net seats and uh, and a big open bay. So I'm fairly certain it didn't meet any safety standards of, of what we would consider in the United States. But that being said, um, flying all throughout the nation to meet with the United Nations representatives to look at their aviation resources, to look at their medical contingency planning, to look at their scheme of maneuver to how to, on how to evacuate people that were exposed to highly infectious pathogens across international boundaries and regions. So I've had quite a bit of time to work both in a team setting, but also to be autonomous. Um, I think the, the the important reminder, though, is keeping the insight uh, always with you, keeping that commander's intent. And that's one thing that working in the military or around the military is such a blessing for. And you see it also with companies where you have key innovators and leaders that have a vision and a boldness. When the commander's intent or when the vision for the company is made very clear, it, it perpetuates an environment where people can really be, uh, you know, self-driven. They can be, uh, you know, really critical in 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 self-starting and taking initiative to to seek to innovate, to improve. And so I've been pushed in a various amounts of scenarios to do that same thing, to think critically, to find complex, you know, issues, and then find simple or or even at times complicated methods to address them. And so I think at the end of the day, probably the greatest 
you know, representation of what it is to be a leader in something like this, like this career field that I'm pursuing, is to remind why. Why are we doing it? What's the end state here? The end state is to be a representative and to be an advocate for the people that you are responsible for. Um, the district in which I'm seeking to represent is very diverse. There's a heavy agrarian and a very heavy urban environment. Um, very different value systems that you can find at times. Um, and so finding a way to create a coalition and brokerage so that people feel that they can trust you, people trust your character, people feel that you will, in fact, be their advocate. That's the only way I think you can approach something like this. We have many that get involved in politics because they believe in grandeur or status or that they're destined for something greater. I recognize those motivators. Um, I personally don't subscribe to them. I look at the ultimate demonstration of leadership as servant leadership. So to, to pursue something like this, while it's not in a team dynamic, it is still a coalition. It's a social contract between myself and the people of this region to know that their best interests will be taken at heart and will be voted upon by me and legislated by me at all times. Um, so it's difficult to, to convey that. The only way to do it is simply spend time with people and hear them and listen to them and value their humanity and value their their sight in the eyes of our maker. Um, and so the, those are the things that I'm that I'm drawing from as far as why I'm going to be doing this and how I think and I believe truly that keeping that perspective will help me in this endeavor because it's ultimately what's best for the people I'm seeking to represent. I don't want self-aggrandizement. I don't want ingratiation. I want service. In fact, I want to sacrifice for others. I'm willing to do it for others. Those are th words that throw back to our founding fathers, and I commend you for it, because that's that sort of selfless service to a nation, not based on a salary, not based on some sort of perks, but truly to the heart of what our Declaration of Independence, Constitution, and Bill of Rights really speak to. You're heading into a very contentious moment in our history. There's going to be a lot of challenging things. One of them, obviously, we're looking at this rise of this new COVID nonsense and the people that have been so divided and riddled with fear. How do you see yourself leading in this environment when fear from your origins, from my origins, is something you put aside and learn to put aside happily to step in boldly, as you've said, to face that enemy and understand you'll do whatever it takes? I think especially nowadays, we're being inundated from every angle uh, to, to create an environment of ultimate anxiety. So I understand why people are afraid and people are concerned. Now, with everything going on in the news, it's a business. It's The business is great when you keep people consumed, when you keep people focused on things that might not always be in their best interest or things that might not always be in their faces on a daily basis. So, so you have to draw them in. You have to, to capture their attention. And so with everything that went on with COVID, you know, I joined an organization, Fed for Med Freedom, and they were a really, they are an amazing group. Uh, they were the ones that won the Fifth Circuit court case in Texas that really abstained from the executive order requiring federal employees to be vaccinated. I joined that group and I was asked to lead the nearly 2,000 people from DHS and help coordinate and communicate with the leadership. I'm not on the board. I never was, but um, I was 
I was asked to be an advocate and representative for those that were within the DHS umbrella. And for me, that was another great honor, not because necessarily I was the most well-equipped, but because strategically I had the means to do so. And I was working at headquarters, which transcended all the different sub-departments and agencies. And so as, it, as we look at Congress now, um, for those of you that aren't aware, that was an en banc ruling that happened in the Fifth Circuit that ultimately was appealed to the Supreme Court. The current administration, while they lost the ruling, they're appealing it to the highest court of the land for reconsideration. They still do not believe that they do not have the authority to require a vaccine for all federal employees. An astonishing overreach of power, if I've ever heard one. Um, and I'm not here to advocate for or against obtaining one. That was a personal decision that I completely respect the autonomy of the individual, and I always will. Um, for myself, though, it was the notion we had people in the group actually who did who were fully vaccinated, but they simply abhorred the idea of a mandate. Um, and so, uh, at the end of the day, look, I, I need to give people a message of hope. The best way to combat fear is not by the opposite, you know, negativity or fear. It's by giving people hope and inspiration. And sometimes, you know, like you see at Tiananmen Square or many other areas. You know, even the candle revolution that went on in eastern Romania back when the, at the fall of the Soviet Empire, there were things that happened that were seemingly insignificant that led towards a dramatic change in direction of a nation. And so little efforts, you can inspire people and give people hope and just be bold. Like the Benda family speaks about, live not by lies. If we can just endeavor to be truth bearers and truth tellers in everything, be honest, sincere, and to do it even when it's uncomfortable or when it's challenging or when it comes at great personal risk, then I think we can shepherd in a better era. Then I think that we maximize the, the potential that God has given us to bring about a better future. And so when it comes to the anxiety and the fear, that's really it. I think we have to give people hope. And some are going to be followers, not leaders. And that's fine. It takes all kinds of kinds in society, as my father used to say. But um, ultimately, you know, if you have the ability to lead, leadership is not just something that occurs at the highest level. It occurs at every level. Um, and so that's what I, I believe is the responsibility of leadership in these challenging scenarios, is to give people hope and to be their advocates and to do it when it comes at your expense, because then through time, through effort, and through consistency, you will find that you're going to build a team far larger than ever could be understood. Jordan Peterson came under significant backlash when he dared to speak truthfully about certain matters. And at first, it was more painful and difficult for him. But arguably, his career has recovered and then some in ways that he never would have imagined. He didn't ask for the fame. Um, but nonetheless, his ability to reach people and convey and speak truth expanded far greater than what he ever you know, could have interpreted. Same thing with people like Jocko Willink, who uh, who endeavored to just tell the hard, honest truth about the future. To do what? To empower people to choose a better future than the one than the path that they're on. And so that's what I'm that's what I'm hoping to do here with this mission is to give people hope. There's a great quote from Benjamin Franklin that just feathers right into what you said: "A nation of well-informed men." 
who have been taught to know and prize the rights which God has given them cannot be enslaved. It is in the, the region of ignorance that tyranny begins. So much of this fight has been built on that, that framing, that the idea of keeping people locked in the dark, uninformed, to create an environment of ignorance that creates a de, a, an environment of dependence on a government which then sees itself as greater than servants of the people, but rather people being servants of it. That is something that, the way I see the world, has to change. And when I hear your perspectives like this, that's a voice, a loud voice in the middle of this darkness that's saying that you can and you can overcome. Let's talk a little bit about how you see that happening as you step in. And though you're not changing the nation, you are definitely in a position to change a region and a representative base. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, ultimately, it takes a coalition of people. So you're, you're right. One will not change the trajectory of time. But after a while, that one can become two and then four and then eight. And that coalition can grow. And you can build and assemble that team of teams, if you will. Um, and so that's what we all have to endeavor to pursue. Um, with what we have in the future, I think that's that message of hope and that ability to influence, you know, our government is is what we need. I'm, you know, I'm I'm giving up quite a bit of my time and and effort, and I'm giving up some of the successes that I've had within my previous careers uh, to do this. Because I think that the people of this region, you know, deserve that. I, uh, for example, I'm giving up my pension because I think that service to country is more important than my comfort. And doing the right thing, the honest thing, the good thing is more important than accolades or praise or even success. Um, and so I think when we, when we elect our leaders, you know, in the quote of my website, you know, our government should reflect the character of those in office. That's exactly what I believe because that quote came from me because that's that's the only way that we we pursue a better future. When we choose to imprint our character in our work, um, then I think we we either have to come to grips with our own shortfalls or we have an opportunity to stand for justice and truth and mercy in many just profound ways. So um with this coalition, with coming into government, it will be difficult. It will be challenging. Um, but my goal is to show people in this region that we don't have a nation just of people who are self-serving, that the, the era of good civil servants is still here. It just takes time to wake them up and to get them back into the public limelight um, and to push folks like that into positions of responsibility. You know, I'm 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 pursuing this because I'd like to to be the representative, but I also recognize it may not be me. And I'm fully aware of that. I care more about what's better for the people of this region than I do my own success. And I think when we have more, um, I think that that's really critical. I think we have more, when we have more people that work in and around government, that's how we truly improve our lot. Spoken like a true humble warrior. Cam, we're challenged in this moment in time with where I see the enemy really exploiting key gaps, and one of those is free will. And when we get to that, it's the transitioning of free will into the places of where children have a choice. 
Children have a choice to have a relationship with an adult. Children have a choice on their own to decide whether they're going to be transformed in their gender. Children have a choice to have an abortion on their own. These are issues that, whether it's endemic to your, specifically to your region, they are big topics on a national level. Where's your position on this? Yeah, there's a lot of lot to unpack with that question. Um, there's a lot of sensitivity and delicacy on on a lot of these topics. Uh, look, I'm I'm a firm believer in I'm a pro-life candidate. I I have to just be very frank and sincere about that. I know there's so many different variations um, uh, on this topic of abortion specifically, but I firmly believe in the importance uh, and the dignity of life because I see such inherent value in so many and so many that have been created by our maker. So, um, you know, I will always advocate for that. I also have people in my family who've survived egregious sexual assault in ways that I, I would not want to describe on your show. So I've not experienced it personally, but I've seen people who have and recognize all the delicacies and sensitivities around this topic. I would love for us to be a nation where we have resources and infrastructure in place so that we could convince you know, individuals who are making very difficult decisions where we could provide them more support. And that's firmly what I believe. You know, the abortion topic is not just a simple yes or a no vote on certain matters. It's a lot more complicated than that. We need to talk about how we have an over-sexualization of a lot of our youth. You know, we're not really preaching abstinence anymore in the school place. There are downstream effects to cultural norms like this that can really be discernible. And I think that we need to be aware of because some of the culpability we put, I will say one thing that is controversial to say, we put a lot of responsibility on the individual at a key moment in their life where they make a difficult decision that, frankly, I wouldn't agree with, and that my faith compels me not to agree with. But we don't want to talk about all the things that have led to that point, about all the things in the society, our breakdown of our families um, that have led to that point. You know, when it comes to kids and schools and parents, you know, we've had some amazing school systems. Our educational platforms here are, are really uh, just incredible. But wh- when I was a kid growing up, my father would break open my school books and he'd go through my assignments with me and he would review, you know, what I was reading and how and he'd give me his perspective and we debate things at times that sometimes I would enjoy it. Sometimes I just wanted to get away. I'm um, just, Dad, I want to finish my homework in 20 minutes. All right. I don't want to, I don't want to have an hour and a half long conversation about history. <laughs> but looking back on it, what a blessing it was. And so I think what we're seeing now is parents are starting to become reinvested in their education of their kids, and they're not liking what they're seeing. And I don't blame them at all, uh, because we have these, we have this infusion of of a, of a perspective and of ideology when we should be preparing minds for the future and preparing great and critical thinkers so as to communicate clearly, to reason sensibly, and to be good moral individuals in their interactions with others so that they know they can succeed in this world. And I think also the perpetuation of victimization. We've now come into an environment where no longer are victims supported, but in fact, many ways, they're actually encouraged. Um, and it's, it's a really distorting thing in some ways to look at it. It's awful. Um, And so what I see instead is our great obligation to teach people to know that they have power in their lives and that they have inherent worth. And when you get, so I coach wrestling too. 
for kids. <clears throat> I coach at a local middle school here in town. And when you challenge them hard, but when they feel that they can succeed, when they're given a difficult choice, and when society wants to make it easier and easier for them to, to choose the, you know, the cop out or the easy way out or, or a decision that's much simpler. But when you motivate them and you give them a chance to succeed and then you see them pursue it and then they realize they can, there is very little in this world that is more motivating than to see a child realize that they have great worth, that they have abilities and that if they focus and they discipline themselves and hold themselves to account, they can achieve great and compelling things. Um, so that's that, that's sort of the philosophical approach I have to a lot of these really difficult problems. Um, you're right. We have a, you know, we have many ways. Just this infringement on liberty, that's totally unbelievable. You know, James Madison has a quote that I love, and we do not hold the stability of this nation to be based upon the Constitution. Rather. The stability of this nation shall be subject to the individuals governing themselves according to the commandments of God. The argument was self-governance. So we as a people need to be pursuing things that facilitate self-governance. You know, there's an ancient uh, Hebrew phrase that talks about he who is the most powerful in the world is the one who governs himself. I think when we teach people that they can have that self-restraint, you know, like Jocko says, discipline equals freedom, which sounds like a great slogan for a T-shirt. But when you read it, it's deep and it's totally true. And so that, I think, is the solution to some of these really challenging problems that we're facing. I really respect the moral framing of this because I think that's what we miss is in the dialogue. Things become in politics a simple black or white, yes or no, I'm for, I'm against and as you hit the key piece here, there is so much behind these points of view and we don't discuss them, which gives us a right to grow as a society. That type of dialogue happens within a team environment. Give us some insight into what I would say team rules in a discussion, say before an operation or in a post-operation where you're doing a hot wash. Talk about some of that honest brutality that has to happen to develop the trust and the learning in a team. Hey, that's excellent. I think team dynamics are so useful for so many. Um, you know, you always used to say as a new guy, or you were told, you know, you have you have two eyes, two ears, one mouth, so keep it shut and listen. So part of being in that team dynamic is being humble enough to listen and to hear criticism and feedback. Um, now, with that being said, it's certainly easier at times than others. You have some people that you might think they're trying to help you. They're really not trying to help you. They're trying to just tear you down, and that's terrible. Um, but when you have that sense of camaraderie with individuals who have gone through great trial and great effort and great difficulty to get to this job, so the meaning and impact is the stakes are high, uh, you have a very strange sense of team cohesion that you wouldn't normally find in the average setting. Um, and so I will say humility goes a long way. And humility is really started um, by by being grateful. And when we become grateful, we can become humble. Um, and so whenever you're with this team, you know, you you somebody might give you a point of, of criticism or feedback. For example, there's a guy who was my team leader I hated. 
Well, I won't say I hated him. That's a pretty strong word. I did not like him very much. And I don't think he liked me very much. And there was a rationale there. And we both had good reasons. Um, but that being said, I had to eventually remind myself how fortunate I was to learn from someone like him. My first platoon chief, Rob Matarisi, used to say, you can learn from anyone what to do and what not to do. But either way, you can learn from anyone. And he was right. And those were incredibly wise words. So when I reframed my perspective within the team and was grateful for the opportunity to be amongst warriors and to learn from them, I found myself receiving criticism from people who are in leadership, as well as those who were my subordinates. It didn't matter. And when you had that lack of pride and that just true um, you know, consideration for the improvement of, of the mission, we did great things. I was criticized on one training evolution in a way that I didn't like, but I took it on the chin and said, you know what? You're right. I messed this up and I need to get better. I need to improve it. And that little act really dramatically improved the relationship I had with this individual. And he noticed it. He talked to me about it later. So um, when we when we embrace one another as as teammates with a common goal and objective and we don't just get so tribal, then I think we can achieve some great things. And humility has to be one of the governing aspects of a team. Uh, you also have to have a sense of purpose. Um, so you have to you have to bring people into a common with a common goal, with a common objective that they're trying to achieve. If you can't unite in that, boy, you're not really a team. You have a lot of individual players trying to do different things for different outcomes. Um, so you have to sober yourself with that as well to know what that commander's intent is or to know what the objective is uh, to be pursued. Um, but those are just some of the elements um, that I that I found always made it so that team dynamics, when we were hearing criticism or improving, it made it so much easier. It made it it made us so much more lethal because we were able to use the insights and wisdom. I had 12 other guys, all with different experiences and different backgrounds who could give me their feedback on a topic. That is insight that I could never ask for in my life. I could never gain that with my own experiences. So when we see that as an opportunity, not just an opportunity to, uh, or when we see it as an opportunity to improve and to get better rather than something that is at your detriment, um, you know, then we we see real power in, in the team dynamic. Then we see really amazing work that's conducted by a group. Moving forward, as we kind of wind this down today, your number one team right now, I would argue, and I would, I would say you probably agree, is your family. And how are you preparing them and how is this coming together as you step into this new battlefield? Yeah, that's a great question too. You know, my family is paramount to me because no matter what, if I'm a successful politician or not, I'm still a husband and I'm still a father and that will never change. And I'm still a humble servant of my maker. Um, we've spent a lot of time in prayer and we, this opportunity was presented to us in a way that I don't know that we expected even a year earlier. But the opportunity was presented nonetheless, and we felt it was our responsibility to to consider it and to really look at what this would take to successfully pull this off. Um, and then we we asked God to confirm with us. So initially, my wife was very hesitant on this idea. I wouldn't blame her because I gave up my job to do this. I can't be a federal employee. I was a division director at DHS with a great salary, with a great position to be in that arguably would have 
allowed me a lot more opportunities in the few years to follow if I'd stayed there. Um, and instead, I, I took a total 180, resigned my position when my work life was great. And I worked for amazing people at the Office of Health Security, um, you know, because we asked God to make it very clear to us, you know, what is his effort? What does he want? I mean, it wasn't so much like a challenge in the way that Gideon requested it, because frankly, I don't know that I'm bold enough to ask that of God. But we did ask very clearly, if this is your will, if this is where you're truly leading us, um, you know, then then we ask that you confirm it with us. And so we spent a lot of time in prayer. We spent a lot of time reaching out to people that we trust and respect and admire. And ultimately, we were the ones that were really drawn into this, not us trying to find a way to insert ourselves and that was another layer of confirmation that we were asking for. So the long story short, um, you know, look, we'll have to put boundaries within this line of work in my family, because at the end of the day, if I am a member of Congress, they're not going to be the ones that will come to my family reunions. They're not going to be the ones that go to weddings and birthdays, and it'll be my family that do. And so that will never change. And I'm attempting to go and serve in this capacity as a family man, so therefore I need to represent my family values first and foremost. Um, but we've we've tried to make the best of it, and we've tried to make um, to capitalize and maximize on our time. And that's the thing with kids is that kids, you know, I used to, Laura Schlesinger used to always say that kids spell love T I M E. Um, so there's going to be a lot of difficulty. But we're prepared to, un to endure it. We're prepared to go through it. We're prepared to be a team and to really kind of pursue this pathway for the betterment of the people of this region and this nation. Um, and so there, there, I don't pretend, though, that there won't be difficulties. We all know that there will. But I think our faith and our inner circle of friends and those that we care about deeply will be an excellent you know, buffer for us to make sure that we, we keep good counsel um, and people who want nothing from us except for our family to thrive and for this job to succeed to the highest. So it's that network. It's that, it's that kind of support team, if you will, that you build um, your inner circle that you have to have around you um, that will influence you quite a bit. So that's what we spend a lot of time trying to prey on and develop. And right now the, uh, the support surrounding us has been just overwhelming. I think you said earlier, and just in the development of the team and the beauty of the time in which you're entering this battlefield is that there's an awareness in this nation of the magnitude of the fight and the weapons of war that this enemy uses, primarily informational and in a negative way. How can people support you? And do you have capacity to take on volunteers in your campaign? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we we would welcome any support. Um, I mean, first off, we have a website. We're working through some things with Google because <laughs> I'll be honest with you, it seems like Google is suppressing our page. I don't know if that's actually the case, but it sure does look that way. Um, but if you type in www.cameronhamilton.com, C-A-M-E-R-O-N, Hamilton, H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N.com, you can find information about our campaign. Um, I'm also on social media too, but we we want support. We We need support. You know, if... If people want to support us and support this movement, we don't want it to be about us. I don't want it to be about even my name. I want it to be about doing good for people in this country and improving the lives of others. So, um, you know, there are volunteers in other states. I know that some, you know, look, I have to get through a primary before I go to the general election. 
Um, so that's that's the issue there. We, we need financial support always. We need volunteers that can help us door knock. So anything that can be provided is always incredibly welcome. Dr. Malone actually just wrote an article on his Substack about about me and about the decision I made with Feds for Med Freedom and my decision to resign from DHS. And I was honored that he would consider me in that light. Um, so, you know, people can find us. The people are willing to reach out to us and help us. You can also send us an email at info at CameronHamilton.com. That'll come to a shared inbox that we have where we can talk to people who are like-minded who want to help our campaign. Uh, but again, if you're on the, what I will say is this, if, if you're on the fence and you don't know where to go, my campaign manager probably won't like me saying this, but don't give to us. Give to where you really feel called. Spend your time and effort and energy where you feel that God has put you and where you feel that you can make a lasting impact. We would love for us to be partners with you. We need a team and we need a lot of help. But, um, you know, I think you should go to where you feel you can make the most impact. Um, so that would be my last kind of sentiment with with how to reach out and help out our campaign. But most importantly, how to help the American people, because that's what I care more about. Well, I appreciate your humbleness, but I'm just going to be blunt. If people can't see the integrity of who you are and understand what you're bringing to this fight, I would say you probably don't need to donate, but otherwise you don't have much choice. This is the type of person that we need in our, in our Congress. So I don't care where you are in the nation, send some money into this campaign and help Cameron out because this is so important that we support one another across state lines and across regional territories. And Cameron, I really feel that way because we are, we are in this together literally as a nation and where we find people like you right now is a rare statement and a rare moment, but it needs to be commonplace, but you're in the process of fighting and I think the biggest thing that needs to be said is your strength is going to be the people's strength behind you. And so the team that needs to evolve isn't in the traditional sense, but it's the team of the hearts of the people that love this nation, regardless of where you live, to support your quality of candidate and who you are as a person to make sure that it's a success. Yeah, thank you, brother. Very kind words. I appreciate it. We want to build a team of teams, and that's what we can be. Well, can we always close with a prayer? And if it's okay, we'll do a prayer. Yeah, I'd be honored. Thank you. Father God, I just want to thank you for Cameron Hamilton and all that he brings now in a very critical hour in our nation. And Father, I just want to begin by praying for a complete hedge of protection around his family and around his campaign staff and around everything that he's doing to ensure that this voice of integrity, this uncorruptible moral foundation of a man continues now to rise up and to literally give voice to the traditions of what service to this nation are supposed to be. He has given his life for so many years in the most dangerous of places, and now he steps into a new arena with an enemy that's not visible, an enemy that uses despicable tools, unfortunately, and so, Father, we're just asking now that as Cameron steps into this place, that you honor him with the protection and all the resources needed to raise a voice that places kingdom first, that raises a voice that understands the value of true service to a nation and service to the people, and truly steps into a place of representing you and representing the people in such a glorious way. Guide him, bless him, and we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, brother. Thank you. Cam, this has been awesome having you on. Doors always open. Um, and as I told you in privately, and I'll share here publicly, we're here to help. 
that what you're representing here is a critical moment in our history where people like you and your background and all that you've been through are so important to step into this arena and to take on the fight of fights. It's, it's not an easy one, as you know, but I can guarantee you that this game can be won and changed as, the, as Washington relearns what it is to mean to be servants of the people. And, I, and you're going to be one of those great people, I truly believe. Thank you, my brother. I really appreciate it. That's, uh, you know, the call that we had uh, a while back was was incredibly impactful. And uh, I just want you to know that we, we very much appreciate your prayers. The people here on your, on your you know, any of your listeners that are on you know, listening to this, I would just ask that if there's any one thing that we can truly ask for, it would just be prayer. That's it. That's the only thing that I, I can really legitimately stare at you and, and ask for is prayer for wisdom and discernment uh, for the times ahead. Well, prayer you have, as always, my brother. Cam, thank you very much. Honor to have you on. Doors open anytime you want to come back on. God bless you, and just have a beautiful day, man. Thank you, my brother. Same to you. Well, Patriots, that was Cameron Hamilton, retired Navy SEAL. He's been called, literally, to step into the gap and run for Congress. If you're in the Virginia area, District 7, even if you're not in District 7 and you're in the Virginia area, or if you're somewhere in the nation and you want to help, these are the type of campaigns to get behind. I know we talk a lot about the corruption of politics, but at the end of the day, 545 people are up there in Capitol Hill, and if you put 545 people of the caliber of Cameron Hamilton in there, this country would change on a dime because these people aren't going to be influenced by the ridiculousness and stupidness of the antics that go on up there by our current political class. So this is hope. This is what hope begins to look like. And there's a lot of this happening. I'm just telling you, I'm in touch with a lot of amazing people, people from the backgrounds that I am familiar with and I respect so much, and they're awakening, they're stepping in, they're understanding now so much of the importance of changing the nature of the fight, but most importantly, following the path that God is calling them to do. So keep your prayers up for Cameron Hamilton and his family. If you have the opportunity to support this campaign in any way, please do. It's super important. Now, one last thing. Tomorrow, please remember that we have the, we're calling for the global prayer for Lahaina tomorrow. We're going to open our Saturday morning prayer with that. I'll mention it again tonight. Really important. And we need to really get people mobilized because what we're discovering more and more about that, I'll talk more about it tonight, is just unbelievable. So anyway, Patriots, thank you for being here tonight. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We're at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war 
and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made. Therefore, they can be solved by man. And man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples. It has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. Push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. <laughs> 